Oh, she's gone again. Gone again. I think you should put all the she's gone again together for the end of the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the 14th episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This is the episode for the 17th of September 2020. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. We have had a plethora of letters of comment since the last time we recorded. Okay, so I've talked to you about plethora before, John. It's not a word that means many. It's a word that means too many. And we don't we haven't really had a plethora of locks. We have had a a sufficiency, a delightful collection of locks. Many of you have written, but it's not a plethora because when you have you have a plethora of a courgettes, it is a word that means glut. Whoa! No one could ever possibly have too many courgettes, Alison. Have you ever grown courgettes, John? No. Right, there we go then. Yes. We have. We got one single entirely spherical courgette, and it was magical. A perfectly round courgette. I say I grew it. Espana grew it. I watched. Oh, yes. So another year. So watch your courgettes really, once you get the hang of it, you will have a year. I went to a gig once where the, the guy stood on stage and said, and if you buy a CD, everyone who gets buys a CD gets a free bag of courgettes. That's a good deal. That's just a good deal. I will note that we recorded for, I think, approximately 35 seconds before we delved into a rabbit hole of courgettes and folk music, which is, like, pretty good for us, I think. Um, According to my dictionary app, Alison, strictly a plethora is not just an abundance of something, but it is an excessive amount. However, the new looser sense is now so dominant that it must be regarded as part of standard English. Yeah, well, just because your dictionary app isn't uh, upholding fowler's standards or whatever hey i'm a uh i'm a descriptivist not a prescriptivist i mean you know words change i understand that the i just don't feel i feel that when you use plethora quite a lot of people will take the negative meaning along with the positive one um whereas there are other words that have have just kind of um flowed happily into the language and, and nobody has a problem with them anymore i mean nobody People who still complain about the use of the word hopefully to mean I hope that, I feel. I feel that, I think those people have lost. But I think those of us who are still arguing about plethora can... Um... Anyway, we have not in fact had a plethora of locks, so please write in. We have had a myriad of letters of comment. Myriad's good. That probably means more than four. Hang on, let me double check. According to my dictionary app, myriad is uh, a noun. A countless or extremely great number of people or things. One too many lots. This is a myriad. Countless. Done. Countless. Countless. My dictionary also says that, although tiefling classical history, it was a unit of 10,000, and we have not had that meaning number of locks yet. We haven't had that many listeners, frankly. No. Somebody said on Zoom that they really enjoyed Octothorpe and waxed poetic about how marvellous it was for some time, but I can't remember who it was. Is that a dream you had? Uh, you know, okay, I've been having some weird dreams recently. Okay. <laughs> so if it was you, then please write and tell us, because telling me that you like the podcast in in Zoom, while very gratifying, does nothing for my co co-host. We also had a Discord uh, mention of comment, I guess. So you can add that into the myriad pile. 
Yay! Who was our Discord mention of comment, Liz? Our Discord mention of comment was from listener Chance, who said, excellent trashing of the MCU. And this is the sort of comment that means we do not want to pivot into being an MCU podcast. We would alienate at least one listener and one co-host. Thank you very much to Listener Chance for writing in. Um, frankly, we cannot afford to lose any listeners or co-hosts. No, no, we cannot. Uh, the second letter of comment out of our new five uh, is Mark Plummer, who felt guilty that he had only written last episode with a pedantic correction and said that Octothorpe is a really good thing generally. Uh, and he said he agreed with Liz about Nasfic panels on researching the Golden Age. And he agreed with Alison about there shouldn't be anything about the Nasfic in the Whispers Constitution. And then he said that he was sure he must agree with me about something, but he can't think what it is. So thanks, Mark. That made me feel nice. Oh, and also he um, wrote in to correct us uh, because pa panels from the Nasfic are available online. I think I did link them in last episode's show notes. Um, but basically, there are a couple of videos on Vimeo, which appear to be all of the panels just in one long video. Um, so we will link those again in the show notes this week. He thought we were marvellous. I mean, pe more people could write and say how good we are and not argue. Liz is nodding contentedly. Yeah, I like all letters of comment that say you're really good and I agree with you. Please send them all in. Um, Lillian writes in and says that no one needs 10 minutes for a poo. Lillian is, a thing, I think, wrong. I mean, I think I'll go with nobody should need 10 minutes for a poo. And quite a lot of people seem to need more time for a poo than they ought to. But, you know, don't write in. I will say that, to be honest, I have not made a habit of timing my bowel movements. And I think that way lies nothing good and I will not be doing it. And she also writes in about Gather Town, saying that it's the state of the art right now for virtual drinks. Um, it seems quite good. Um, it's based on Jitsi, I think. Like, Jitsi is doing the underlying bits of the video. I would like us to practice with Gather Town and High Fidelity, both of which I quite like. And it feels like you could have a model where you used Gather Town for your, either Gather Town or High Fidelity for your general milling about space for a virtual event before actually putting people into Zooms for more serious matters or stuff. I saw a mention somewhere on Facebook and I will try and find out where, that Zoom was going to let you choose your own breakout room soon. Really? That would be that would be very good. It was from Tammy Coxon on the Joff Facebook group uh, saying that you can now create, hosts can create breakout rooms and participants can decide which breakout room they want to join. This is a feature that should have been implemented just from a professional perspective a while back because there are multiple kind of informal workshops where you do rotate between breakout rooms and that is a desirable thing to do. So I am a little bit surprised it's taken them this long, but I'm glad that they're now getting around to it. So she also mentioned Zoom fatigue. I think that is a very real thing. I have, I cancelled plans yesterday because I was like, I could spend more time on my computer, like talking to my friends, or I could like sit in the garden and read a book with my cats and the garden sounded better. And I think it is tricky. I've, I am learning that although I crave social interaction, I also crave time away from screens more than I did pre-lockdown. Um, and so I am finding that that is an interesting balancing act. And the way I'm basically doing it is is less sort of 
I, I kind of mostly do one zoom at the weekends usually um but then like the rest of the weekend is is spent doing more physical things in the real world and then during the week i then spend a lot of time on my computer um how are you two finding that kind of division if i ever run an online convention i'll want to make sure that some of the activities require the members to do some things that aren't just sitting at their computers i want to build in um physical activity that's a bit like the like the the pool tournaments or darts tournaments or or um hanging out in the garden type things that we that that small faddish conventions have traditionally had so that i mean november's not the perfect time but we we should be trying to make sure that some of the activities at the convention require you to do things that aren't actually at your desk in order to get the most fun out of the con, like I don't know, scavenger hunt, or or think you know, or local, or local, like a show and tell where, or you tell them on Friday to go out to the local neighbourhood and take some photographs or video of something of interest, and then we'll have a program item where everyone comes and talks about those things for two minutes each Ooh, on Saturday. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of you actually have to physically go and do a thing that gets you off your backside. We had a letter of comment from Karen Schaefer, who wrote to us about um, a Liberty puzzle of Barcelona she got for her birthday, which she completed while listening to our podcast. Um, she is now very sad because she has finished the puzzle and run out of Octothorpe. So we are rectifying one of these problems for you, Karen, right here. So hurrah! And thank you for listening. Um, she also assumes there must have been SF conventions in Barcelona and indeed the 2016 Eurocon was held in Barcelona. Um, I've put a blog post from Ian Watson, who um, I think was involved on the committee of that convention, in the show notes. And I've also put a link to the Liberty puzzle Karen did, which looks beautiful. It's a wooden jigsaw puzzle. Um, and um, you kind of... <laughs> each of the landmarks and kind of people is its own bit of wood. So even if you um, deconstruct the puzzle, you still have like all of the pieces. It's really, really beautiful. Oh, it really is pretty. It is a very pretty puzzle. I really like it. 10 out of 10. It's beautiful. I was like, I've, I've not got into puzzles. I have got slightly into doing uh, paint by numbers, which is like painting, Ooh. but doesn't require me to have any artistic ability except the ability to read a number and stick within the lines. Um, and I, I think it's probably going to take me several hundred hours to complete it. So I find it quite a, you know, gentle thing to do while listening to podcasts or watching the TV. I do do jigsaw puzzles, but I have a strict, you may not buy another jigsaw puzzle until you've done all the jigsaw puzzles. And I also have a lack of space in my not very big house in which to do jigsaw puzzles. And I'm kind of looking at the absolute acres of crap piled up in this room and going, I'm pretty sure there may be some solution that involves throwing out a lot of this stuff. And then we would have more space. Which is actually the nice thing about paint by numbers is they take much 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 longer than a jigsaw puzzle but take up about the same amount of space as a jigsaw puzzle finally a letter from a espania sheriff odd name uh she says that a lot of what we mentioned for dealers is true of the art show as well um and talks about kind of technical issues um and the huge variability of how art shows have been done at conventions and then talks about discoverability and promotion as well like we did um 
and then mentions that FutureCon is coming up September 17th to 20th, um, and I have put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and also notes that we might want to add the Octothorpe email address to our Facebook and Twitter because um, she couldn't find it until I told her to check the show notes. Uh, so yes, um, I don't know who's in charge of those things. I don't think it's me. Uh, I think Octothorpe... Well, I think I've invited you to be an admin. You both to be admins of the Facebook page. But yeah, I'll put it on the... Um, remind me. I could theoretically do that right now. Um, and I will put it on the Twitters. I told her to put it at the end of the lock so I could ask you two to do it because I didn't want to. Because <laughs> I'm a champ. Um, but yes. Um, so yeah, thank you very much to everyone who wrote in with locks. They were lovely. Um, I do note that obviously we always like hearing that we're right about everything and that we're great. So if you think that, please do tell us in writing. Um, and also if you have any more poetry. Um, oh yeah. I mean, the poems this week were very good, but they were less rhyme-focused than previous poems have been, and mostly very prosy on balance. That didn't work. No, I'm not sure that was funny. Were there any poems? No, that was a joke. No, it wasn't. It was a joke, yeah. Oh, so that was like one of these things that has the accident of a joke, but not actually the substance of it. F***ing hell. Thanks, Alison. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Can I also say that FutureCon uh, looks really good and I already love them because they list the times of their panel in like seven time zones. And so I do not have to go and get a time zone converter. Well, I, I do, but only to work out which one is closest to me so I can take an hour off. So I already like that. I got in trouble on a Discord I am a member of because I said, why don't they just do what my Arkham Horror Convention did? which is to convert it into the time zone according to your IP address. And I got shouted at because apparently that's evil. But it was very useful, and I think more conventions should do it. It is very useful, but it, it actually has a very weird... There's a weird side effect for it, which is... But the NASFIC had an unofficial uh, Conopass, like, thing of their schedule. And what... And you, you know, Conopass is just like the um, a nicely laid out web version of a program. But the thing it does is it automatically picks up your time zone presumably from your IP or whatever, maybe from your browser, and then tries to tell you what what items are coming up shortly, but it doesn't convert the actual time zone. So what would happen is it would try and show me remaining program items that were going to happen in my time zone, which because I was actually looking at schedule where all the times are 12 hours behind because it was an American one, was nothing, and then show me nothing. Yeah, that, that, doesn't, that isn't how I would implement the feature. <laughs> no, it was, it was broken in a really weird way. But probably no one has thought about the problem of what if someone is looking at the con schedule in a different time zone when it's something that was basically implemented for uh, physical conventions. When I started my business, one of the things I discovered very early on is that in the sort of long lists of things that no tech companies do very well, it turns out that time zones breaks all sorts of platforms in all sorts of ways all over the world all the time and huge and it turns out that that and currency conversion are just vastly more complicated than you would ever believe possible for something that's just that looks quite simple but is also assuming that the work week runs monday to friday isn't actually true in quite a lot of countries yes one also assuming that the weekends the the assuming that the week starts on a sunday even that isn't true in the uk like because we start the week on a monday and the us starts their week on the sunday which is weird. Uh, I don't understand why that is different, but it is. 
actually, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions about time. It is tradition. This is another old people thing. It is traditional for the week to start on Sunday in Britain. Or Thursday if you're at Cambridge University. And all of this stuff. But the thing about time zones and money is that even even not allowing for weird assumptions about how things work that are wrong or not, not universal enough, um, time zones... The business of dealing with time zones breaks websites. Um, they don't cope well with um, things that are in one day for one for a user and a different day for the platform. And every time you mention this, people are like, oh, it's, and, and it is because most tech companies are run by a bunch of bros who live in California and haven't really ever lived anywhere else, especially anywhere else that's more than three time zones away. There might be some truth to that, but I'm also pretty sure that like Apple and Google and Microsoft hire quite widely internationally. So I'm wondering to what extent that is quite as true as it might be. Um, I think like having done some work with time as my day job, it is surprisingly difficult to do on computers because it's non-regular and computers like nice regular things. It's a similar reason to why translation of languages is so hard because it's working out how to do certain things which are incredibly cultural and incredibly not kind of strictly um logical and computers are bad at that generally um so it might be that it is also a difficult problem i will say about futurecon that there doesn't seem to be any social plan beyond we have a discord so it doesn't address any of the problems you have previously noted with conventions allison and it probably means i won't attend either because as as mentioned on previous episodes for me uh conventions are predominantly social spaces and if um if a convention has a strong social space like you know regular parties and zoom hangouts then i'm much much more likely to attend than i am if it's a discord with lots of panels because uh, i don't find that as engaging yeah no i agree um so please people go out there and run small conventions that are mostly form focused on creating social spaces for people who are interesting to chat to I think that's true but i think also the problem is if you're explicitly running a convention where you are trying to say you know have two blocks of panels so that basically the whole world can get to one or other of those panels there then probably isn't a lot of space to do social spaces that would be in a time zone for everyone and then you have to make a choice about which time zones is your social time accessible to you know if you're doing it on a weekday uh there may not be much point about having social stuff that takes place at 2 p.m say for lots of people I think it is quite tricky. It's the it's the state of mind that says that having panels is a critical part of having conventions and cannot be discarded, but having a functioning social space is a nice to have. Now, for me, that's the other way around. Yes, for me too. I have gone to conventions that have had no programming whatsoever, and they've been fun. I mean, and there is a question about what... What constitutes a convention with no programming that is different from a bunch of mates meeting up for a weekend? They are making assumptions about the core of a convention, which are not the assumptions that are true for me. Which is fine, because there will be for pe- there will be people for whom those assumptions are true, and that's the audience they're appealing to. Um, but I think, as a member, as as a member of fandom who is not in that audience, um, I don't think there's any point to be pretending that I am. So, so clearly, there needs to be a primarily socially focused convention quite soon. Well, and also I just don't understand why there aren't Zoom parties happening alongside the panels. Because then if, if there was a, a slot where with a panel that I wasn't bothered about, I'd go into the parties. It, it doesn't seem like a difficult problem to solve to me, and maybe I'm just not thinking about it properly, but like, 
you just have parties and then people will be in the parties who want to be in the parties and people who who will watch the panels who want to watch the panels like i think i think that's fine but i think this is it feels like this is in some ways explicitly pushing back against the trend for conventions to be not more accessible but less accessible to a lot of people in the world and so they've chosen that as the thing they're explicitly gonna try and mitigate against with this com is it your perspective that it wouldn't be possible to do a convention that was accessible that had accessible social spaces no i think my my position is that the vast majority of online events so far have catered primarily to mostly US time zones and sometimes some European time zones. And what they've done is decided what we're going to focus on is trying to have something which feels truly worldwide. And their focus is therefore to get a set of panels together, which are running times that are a bit more accessible to people around the world. And I don't think they're that interested in doing the social space that goes with them. But I think also when you have probably limited time windows to do things in, they've decided the best thing to do is to put panels in those time windows and to have a Discord to be their social space. Because for a lot of people, I think Discord would work as a social space. I think that's what Alison and I said. <laughs> we are aware, but that is because they're prioritising panels. I think they could have done an accessible international convention where they prioritise social space and that would also have worked. And I think the fact they haven't done that is a valid point to criticise them on. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and, and also I, I feel like it's not impossible to have global party spaces because New Zealand having although we were quite skeptical about their plan to run parties for three hours every eight hours that did actually work perfectly well and most people most places in the world could get to one of those party blocks or a second one if they were properly into parties or a third one if they were really far more into parties than was good for them and I think having a kind of limited length to the parties also worked quite well because there is a tendency for international Zoom parties to go on forever in a way that is less fun than you would think if you're the host. Ask me how I know this. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think that is probably fair. Um, but I think you have said a, a few times, Alison, that you think the best model for this kind of thing is to do sort of five hours of panels and three hours of social spaces um, and that allows most people worldwide to like access at least two of the three kind of blocks. And I think in general, if I was going to try and do this kind of thing, that is the kind of model I would take. I think Balticon kind of did this, but they forgot the parties afterwards and just did the five hours of programming, which was my criticism. Uh, and that was, I don't think you mean Balticon, do you? You mean reconvene? Yes, I mean reconvene. Yes. And I think it would have been, I just, yeah, like I say, I think there's not enough. I think these are all problems that would be soluble if people were trying to solve them. I think my problem is that they're not. It might be to do with the Zoom fatigue we were talking about, because like if you have like social spaces that are sitting on your backside in front of the computer, it doesn't necessarily feel different to sitting in, on your backside in front of like a panel. And I think that is a tricky thing, because at a convention going to the bar, had, there's like a mental separation to that where... It's a space that is set aside for relaxation, whereas obviously if your home office is also the place where you watch your panels and is also the place where you drink with your friends, that mental separation is much, much harder to come by. Um, I think that is a real problem, but I don't know to what extent it can be fixed. I agree. Doing a lot of agreeing today. Do you think the block, especially for New Zealand though, do you think having blocks of panels and then blocks of parties made a lot more work for the people running parties. I think the fact that there was essentially one person in charge of all the parties made a lot more work for the people running parties. Um, and 
I, I kind of there are always ways that Americans do their world con running that I always look at and go, in Britain, we have a model for con running that doesn't work like this. And you know that this is insane, guys. Um, and, and people just kind of shrug. I, I don't think they did have, they didn't really have blocks of parties, panels and then have blocks of parties. They had programming essentially through the day and into, into the evening every day um, with the evening things not being the sort of light-hearted things that we'd have in the evening, but being more sort of European timed serious thing. So I found myself on programme at eight o'clock in the morning, um, New Zealand time and 10 o'clock at night, New Zealand time one day, which is quite hard. And um, and then the, the 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 parties just slotted into that, so they didn't have breaks in the programming. And I think for a Worldcon, you might not want to have breaks in the programming. But I think for a smaller convention or a convention that was more conspicuously global rather than being grounded in New Zealand, you might say you could do round-the-clock sets of panels and ask. But it does make the job of programming people onto panels even harder than it might be otherwise, because. It's it's all too easy to say that that panel is perfect for that person, but that is at four o'clock in the morning their time. Yeah, and like if anyone was to run a small Fanish convention uh, online, I think these are the sorts of things I'd want to be thinking about because you don't want to make it so difficult. You don't want to plan to do the perfect convention but have that be such a difficult thing to achieve that you end up burning out before you get anywhere near it because like... That is the problem with a lot of fan activity. You shoot really, really high and you end up not being able to get there, so you fizzle. Um, but I think there is room for improvement on the formula that is relatively low-hanging, I think. Um, and I'm hoping... I feel like we've settled into a little bit of a this is how it works, and I'm not sure that model of how it works is actually a thing that really works for me. So at this point, I'm starting to be louder about, I think there needs to be more innovation here because I don't think we've solved the problem yet. And I think the fact that a lot of these conventions are looking very, very similar means that I'm worried that there are people that think we have solved the problem, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm being harsh. I I think that one of the ways you could do it for a small convention is to not make it conspicuously global. And I think to some extent that's what Reconvene did, though it didn't have parties. But so if I was running a small Fanish convention, I would probably say up front, this is a small British Fanish convention. And of course, we welcome our friends from countries that are not the UK. And of course, we will try to do something that are inclusive. But primarily the times that we party are going to be the times that we party and we might call our social space in the morning coffee and if it's like 11 o'clock at night for you that doesn't mean you're not very welcome but it's it's a coffee break rather than a party yeah but i think and maybe that actually gets back to what liz was saying which is maybe this is very difficult to do in a way that is international because you do run into those fundamental clashes between the coffee and beer time zones yeah i will say having been to kind of international parties which you know basically have continued through my night and I'm now joining her in the morning. It is fun, but it's very different joining a party when you've just woken up and it's 9am and you're eating breakfast. Um, other people are like at the very end of their drinking and it's 3am. The vibe is quite weird. Yeah, because I remember you came to Alison's Eastercom party and I was like, it was 3am and I'd had quite a lot of beer <laughs> and two pizzas and you were like, I'm eating cornflakes. And I was like, Liz! And you were like, hello, John. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think I think there might be... I think it depends on your kind of party idea because 
that was nice, but I did feel like I've missed out on a nice night of fun partying with people on Zoom, and I can chat to them now, but they're going to drift off and fall asleep in a heap in a moment. I was so hungover the next day. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if at EasterCon I have had breakfast, I mean, I've had breakfast at EasterCon with people who had still been partying, but that feels different because then there is still a whole convention for you to go to. Like I can have breakfast with yeah. people who are super hungover and about to go to bed and I'm about to start the day, but that mm. feels a bit different because I've got a day to start with. Well, maybe that means that doing this kind of like three eight hour block idea means that that would work because you'd be like well yes okay i have missed out on this party but in five hours there will be more parties mm. that are perhaps better situated for me and i get panels in the interim yes i would th i i think that would work very well for a truly global convention that would all not just be truly global in concept but also would expect to be the sort of size that 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 global reach encompasses I, I think it's going to be hard to make that sort of thing work if you're talking about a couple of hundred people and i think it will probably work a lot better with a couple of thousand to fill up all those spaces around the clock so that people didn't discover that there were actually ba batches of it when the only people who were awake were in polynesia I, I think if you were if i was planning like a truly global online world con, then I think that is the sort of thing I might think about. Can I get sufficient people from sufficient different places that we can really feel like this is global and going all the time? Pre-support global Globecon here by sending your $10 to Liz Batty. Never share a Globecon. <laughs> yes, uh, you heard it here, folks. Yeah, Liz Liz said she'd never chair a world con. <laughs> she didn't say she'd never chair a globe con. I really like the idea I really like the idea of, of getting rid of all of Worldcon's baggage by just launching Globecon. <laughs> you know, fed up of the Wuspus Constitution. <laughs> it is it's dangerous. I'm not running a business meeting, I'm not running Hugo's, I'm not running a NASVIC. <laughs> You're running the Globos. The Globos! Please, please, can we have the Globos? I, I visited it as like, you know in the Hitchhiker's Guide how there's the party that's been going forever and has now gone into space and goes raiding countries, other planets to get stuff for their party. That's why I see the convention as It just goes on forever, raiding other convention discords and getting more and more hungover. Oh, wow. Mm -mm. Basically. I like this. I like this plan a lot. That that endless party, in fact, many of the endless parties in science fiction, um, has been in my head for the last six months. I I feel like I may be living it. But raiding other conventions' discords is great. Well, this idea. is something I don't know if you two have done a lot um, <laughs> of, because obviously most fanish conventions have been doing their panels on Zoom. Um, but the gaming um, conventions I've been to have been running their program primarily on Twitch. And the nice thing about that is that when a program item ends, you can raid someone else's Twitch channel. So if the convention has three programming streams, when one ends, you can basically just redirect that stream to a stream that's still going, which is actually really cool, except for the one time where a serious D&D &D actual play that was all full of like drama and character moments was invaded by drunk people who had just watched The Dark Room with John Robertson. And and the vibes of the two fan bases were quite different, I would say. It was very funny. I suspect it was less funny for the people who were in the D&D &D 
half of the experience. Um, anyway, so so are you saying that if we were to run a small fanish convention, we would want to do it on Twitch? I don't know. I don't know how difficult because I think I think you add overhead doing it that way because with Zoom, obviously, it merges all of the panelists' video into like a place where you can watch it and you don't have to none of the panelists have to do any tech wrangling for that to occur i think obviously with twitch what you need is like you need to have someone who is like taking all of the video streams and sewing them into a single video stream and then outputting that to twitch i have no experience with that and i don't know how hard it is that's probably quite hard okay so so not then but but you seem to be saying that some that twitch could be good for some sorts of things and fans are most mostly not using Twitch for their online activity much at the moment. Though though I do use Twitch, uh, I've used Twitch as a means of displaying a list of who's in the breakout rooms at at the first Thursday meeting, um, because Twitch is actually a very easy way to get what is on your computer screen onto the internet without very much fuss. Oh, that's a good idea. For those who um, are brought out in the proverbial screaming heebie-jeebies by discussion of um, the dreaded virus, um, you may want to skip to the next chapter, which is a better bit and has Marvin in it. Um, But for those of you staying with us, then we're going to discuss a little bit about what the UK's current rise in cases of COVID-19 and ensuing clampdown um, back down to um, it being illegal for more than six people to meet together. Um, what that might imply for Eastercon, um, because obviously if things were just continually, gradually tailing off, um, we might be quite optimistic about Eastercon. But um, the fact that things are looking like they're getting a little bit worse makes us a little bit nervous, I think. Um, so, Liz, you are our, you are Octothorpe's coronavirus correspondent. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want that position or not. <laughs> you don't have to have coronavirus to do it, if that changes your mind. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, so I think I sort of brought this up because um, we haven't heard that much coming out of the 2021 Eastercon so far. And when they talked about the 2021 bid at the 2020 virtual bid session... Um, they didn't. They were definitely planning for an in-person convention, and I think thinking about whether they would run a virtual convention if it wasn't possible to run a 2021 EasterCon. And I think at the time I thought, oh, 2021, yeah, it's probably okay. Like we stamp on the virus, it goes down pretty low, and then I think it's a case of can we keep it that way and not have any more? How do I put this? Can I not have any more big outbreaks? And I I was fairly optimistic that you probably could do that by 2021. But at the moment, looking at it kind of six months later, the UK managed to get transmission under control and keep it quite low, but never actually completely like stamp it out and get down to the really super low levels we've seen in some other countries. And currently, it doesn't look like things are going in the right direction. It looks like they might be going up again and we're going to have to do some kind of partial... Uh, lockdown or restriction of uh, restriction of socialising, kind of bringing back in more social distancing, smaller groups again. And based on that, it's hard to know where it goes in the next few months. 
Um, based on the response over the past six months, I don't have a super optimistic view of the UK actually getting to the point where they can get it down to near zero. And then if they do see any outbreaks to have a system which works fast enough to do testing and contact tracing in order to bring those back down to zero again. And so I'm worried about when the EASACON might make the decision to go virtual, when they will need to make the decision to go virtual. And if they decide not to go virtual, what does the EASACON actually look like when you're planning six months out and you're really not sure how many people you'll be allowed to have in one room? Yeah, I I share Liz's concern that the UK is not going to be in a position to put a thousand people in a hotel in at Easter. I mean, I, I, I think it's remarkably unlikely that we will be able to hold the EASACON in the way that we're normally expecting to. And I haven't, I feel like... I don't know why I do this. <laughs> I'm going to say this thing and then you can all fall about laughing and then I'll apologise for it. Part of me looks to the EASTERCON committee for guidance in these troubling times. I expect the EASTERCON committee to be proactively out there using their social media feeds and their means of contact with the community to be keeping us updated regularly to be letting us know their thinking on what's going on and I feel like they kind of from the point where we asked at the business meeting so what what plans have you got to take the convention virtual and they were kind of like well we haven't really thought about it yet to now I feel like I've heard almost nothing from them and it may be that I've been ignoring their their massive publicity campaign about their plans and what they're doing and what they're thinking is. Um, so I wanted to see if, if you guys had heard anything from them and, and if I'm being a bit daft to expect EasterCon, the EasterCon committee to have any greater role in this than just some people who were kind of running a convention like all the other conventions. In Progress Report 1, EasterCon did say that they are continuing to plan for an in-person convention, but they are doing so with a view to how they might make things work in a virtual world. The fact that it's now September and things do not appear to be heading towards zero and there has not, the government have like begun to think about how certain things can restart, but I'd be extremely surprised if, if large conventions with a lot of um, quite close commingling was a thing that was able to happen before um, Easter. But I do think the EasterCon committee's communication up to this point has been sparse. I feel that if I were the chair of next year's EasterCon, I would be talking to people. (laughs) Okay, so John Marshall might not have found that funny. There you go. (laughs) I I don't think you can be stopped from talking to people, Alison. So I realise this is a one-year bid and one-year bids have a very tight time frame to get everything up and running, even under the best of circumstances. And 2020 is certainly not the best of circumstances. And so I can I can definitely forgive them for maybe not being as communicative or as uh, on top of things as other EasterCons have been. But at the moment, they're very quiet. I'm worried that we end up in the same situation. I think it would be a missed opportunity for people who enjoy this to try and have an enjoyable weekend to keep us going before we can all actually see each other in person again. Yeah, so it is time to start thinking about what the options and ideas for an Easter weekend virtual event would be, um, how that might look if if the current sitting EasterCon committee did not want to run a virtual convention and 
what we would do about it if they didn't. And when we need them to realistically be telling us what they're doing before we decide to seize control of the means of Eastercon production. <laughs> and the thing that I think we can all agree on is the current sitting Eastercon committee should show some leadership and should be saying some things about this, if not now, then very soon. Oh, and furthermore, Rob Jackson's still planning to run Corflu in Bristol, and that's not going to happen, is it, in February? Well, especially not because transatlantic travel won't be problem possible by february like even if the uk is completely covid free in a way that means that we can have a convention so i think i mean it's definitely not going to be the usual eight hundred thousand person easter con because that includes a fair number of overseas visitors who will be unable or unwilling to do uh inter-country travel can we talk very briefly about the magic vaccine um which is not going to exist by easter because i think people there are a lot of people still out there going, ooh, vaccine, it's going to be an amazing thing. But it's not. And we definitely won't have it by Easter. It might exist by Easter. You won't have it by Easter, though. I think what I think is, if there is somehow a combination of situations that means that if a thousand people congregate in Birmingham next year, it won't be a problem from a public health perspective, then I will be delighted and I will enthusiastically attend the EasterCon as normal. Um, but I think it is also my opinion that the chances of that are vanishingly small, both from the perspective of COVID just giving up and going away and from the perspective of having a vaccine by then. Um, so sadly, I think that is, I mean, if it, if it is possible, brilliant, and I will eat humble pie. Uh, but my, my gut feeling is that it's probably not. It's not possible based on extrapolating from any of the current responses to the crisis in the UK. So I think my question is, is there any situation in which a smaller EasterCon or even a hybrid in-person EasterCon, in-person virtual EasterCon would be run? Or is it a case of either we run something in person that looks a lot like the Eastercon we expect, maybe a bit smaller, or we just go straight to virtual Eastercon? I do feel that that second question is very much something for the committee. I mean, they might reasonably say we will run the largest event we are legally allowed to, or you could arrange to run a set of small events in different places. I, I'm not sure. If things are as they are at present, I'm not sure I would be prepared to go to an in-person con. And I mean, I, I'm speaking here as somebody who went to an actual COVID safe. I, I think I'm going to put COVID safe in square quotes because I'm not sure we really know what constitutes COVID safe. But but a, a music event yesterday with 30 people at um, in which some some chatting happened where everyone kind of stood around more than six feet apart with masks on having conversations and and you could kind of see fans having a party a bit like that but it still wouldn't be any part of what i think of the east Connors being and this was early september rather than february so february I'll ignore me easter because often the weather is very bad at easter weekend Easter's not in february no it's not when is Easter weekend next year is it april it's not next weekend either. <laughs> it's early April. Okay, just just I'm definitely not suffering from confusion. <laughs> Name of the con. Oh god, it is at all. It is. <laughs> I'm not saying 
that the convention committee have to be planning to run a online convention if covid hasn't um gotten into a manageable state by then and i'm not saying the convention i'm not really saying the convention has to do anything i suppose the only thing i am saying the convention needs to do is communicate what their plans are openly and transparently with the community because if their plan isn't to run an eastcon if covid is not under control it would be useful for other fans to know that in advance so we can start planning i think i would say that it is not unusual for the sitting Eastercon to have not communicated clearly and cogently at this stage in the year for the following year. And in fact, the Eastercon, whilst not having a written constitution or even an unwritten constitution, does have custom and practice for what we do in this situation, which is that we sort it out at Novacon. Obviously, we're not having a Novacon either, but I mean, as long as there is something happening over the Novacon weekend, we would be able to, at that point, take stock of where the Eastercon was at and whether they had communicated cogently about their plans. And if they had not communicated cogently about their plans, said, well, it it falls upon those of us here present to go, well, what do we want to happen over the Easter weekend? Let, it, let us make it so, Spock. I think we have heard rumours. I feel I feel I can... I feel I can discuss the rumours. I've heard rumours that something will be happening over the Novacom weekend, um, but obviously um, they are just rumours, so we can't can't say any more here. Um, but there are rumours. Yeah, one of the really strange things about doing a podcast about fandom is that there's another thing that is only rumours at the moment that I'm desperate to talk about on the podcast, but at some point it will not be rumours and I'll be able to talk about it. But that's, you know, that is for the podcast. You know, if you have any good rumours that we aren't allowed to talk about, please do write to us and we will allude to them. <laughs> yes, we will waggle our eyebrows significantly. Um, so, yeah, so so if, if something does happen over the Novacon weekend, then hopefully this is something that can be discussed um, by fandom then. Um, I think, so, obviously... In order of preference, I would like to see COVID magically go away and there to be a proper Easter con with a drunk Tobes at it. Um, second preference is to have a smaller Easter con, which is, you know, an appropriate amount of people for the COVID situation and for there to be a drunk Tobes at it. Um, and then I think the third option is I would like there to be a virtual Easter con and I think that there should be a drunk Tobes at it. Um, so I think. Do you, do you think drunken Tobes is critical to your enjoyment of the Easter weekend? I mean, I think to the extent that Eastercon has a constitution, that constitution does involve Tobes being drunk. I remember Eastercons from before Tobes attended them. So if there is an Eastercon held and Tobes is not at it, is it an Eastercon? This is the sort of dangerous and uncharted territory that I wish to avoid exploring. What if Tobes is at the convention? But doesn't drink. <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, well, I mean, if we're going to talk about fantasy lands, I'd also like to have Eastcon on the moon. Like... <laughs> okay, so the moon is not in the United Kingdom. And I think although we have stretched this point a few times, I'm not sure we're going to stretch it to the moon, John. <laughs> Name of your sex tape. Here's your thing. Suppose Eastercon went virtual. What things would it have to properly encompass in order to feel like a proper Eastercon? Apart from a drunken toad. 
<laughs> I mean, that was going to be my first thing. I think um, the things for me that make an Eastercon an Eastercon are good panels with fans on them, good panels with pros on them, but not solely pros. I think I've seen a lot of conventions where I feel like most of the programming has been focused around people who are authors and people who are pros. And I understand why, because I think that gets people to attend, but I would like to see an EasterCon do more with, with, with you know, the fandom. Um, and I think I think Zealand did that well. So I, I'm not saying that no one has done that, um, but I think, I think that would be good. Um, I think there should be a game uh, component, gaming component. I don't know how that would work but i can think of some ways to do it um i think there should be a thriving social space and i think there should be a bid session where people ask questions about whether or not there will be mushrooms at breakfast liz what's an easter con to you other than the wrong time zone yeah i think if it had everything you just laid out then it would feel like an easter con i don't know i'm not very big on virtual socializing with people I don't already know well. I find that difficult. Whereas it is much easier at EasterCon for like someone I don't know to come up and join the conversation and to get to know them and have a chat. And I find that quite difficult over Zoom or Discord or whatever. If you could if you had social spaces that were were that kind of six to eight to ten people consistently that you might have around a table in a bar, it is actually quite easy to bring extra people into that um and and you make friends with them over time um as we've been seeing on the internet all 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 this year i've made new friends um i've there uh, and i think the other thing is that people who were very 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 vague acquaintances of mine in march are now my friends purely because of our interactions over the internet to an extent that i'm not sure i would have thought was possible so for me it is all about the social spaces i mean i understand that there have to be I don't just want program. I I don't want just want panels um, of fans and panels of pros and and I want there to be talks by interesting people that generate conversations about what they had to say and why it matters. I want there to be extravaganza type events, you know, that are, th- I mean, not necessarily the disco, but you know, that are are things that other conventions have not done. And I don't know quite how you translate that to virtual, but I, you know, one of the things about the EasterCon is that it can have, um, it can do things that no other British convention has the scale and space to do. And I think that the the transition to virtual shouldn't prevent that from happening. Um, and and so there's a, it's an opportunity to think quite big in terms of what we can do, what we could do at this convention that nobody has tried. And I think, and I want my friends to be at it. Lots. And lots of my friends. Well, that, yeah, that's fair. I think, I will say on the subject, I, th- I think Liz's thing, uh, the thing you said, Liz, about um, not necessarily finding it easy to have online spaces where you socialise with people you don't know very well. I think, I do wonder to what extent that changes with the number of these things you attend. Because like I would have described myself in a similar situation at the start of lockdown, but having been to a number of first Thursdays where and a number of boozy mooses where there are quite a few people I don't know, I think I am kind of getting better at that in a in a way. And I think Alison's point about smaller breakout rooms being good for 
emulating that kind of like you know these are this is a room and there are like six people in this room and three of them are people i know really well and two of them are people i've not met before but like that ratio is not unfavorable and the amount of new people is not overwhelming i saw hispania was in a zoom conversation at one online con which i think there was about 25 people in and i sort of thought that i don't think i would enjoy i don't think that would work so i think having a lot of breakout rooms is like the only way to kind of try and deal with that if that makes sense um um it may be the only way at the moment but we don't want to solve the problems of six months time with the technology of now i think we are seeing the virtualization platforms continuing to compete for market share by generating new features that work and i think i i i think discord is quite likely for a start off to come up with um things that feel more like a bar and there are definitely people out there trying to do that it's not just it's not just um we're not the only people who want this to work yeah, I, th- I think it's a probably not specifically me problem, but I think I just find it harder to like follow the ebb and flow of conversation and the dynamics of conversation on Zoom. And so six might be the maximum I can manage that with. And I think eight to 10 is probably more people than I can follow on a Zoom. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, and I think it's more... Yeah, it it just feels like at a convention you might chat to someone on the first day and then maybe bump into them again on the third day and have a chat or sort of see them in a panel and say hello. And those kind of repeat exposures may not happen quite so easily at a virtual convention. Yeah, so that we may be wanting to think about how we can do that. Um, I hate the idea of doing formal icebreaking events, but I think you may need to do some things that are quite like formal icebreaking events in some way. And that have some of the same, especially for people who find it harder to make new friends. Maybe that's a thing that I think at a normal convention, I would be a little bit more. Although Aaron said that, maybe that is a good idea. Because like you do tend to find that conventions do get very clicky. And like I am very aware, even at physical conventions, I do tend to spend the whole time hanging out with people I already know. Which is, I, I like hanging out with people I know uh, in the main, unless I know them and think they're an idiot. But that doesn't often happen in fandom. Um, but I will say that, like, I, I do sometimes miss the days when I was very new to fandom and most of the people I met were people I did not know yet because that was quite fun. Um, so maybe maybe that kind of thing would be a good addition. I don't know. I think this is one of the reasons why I wish more conventions were trying to solve the problem of online socialising because I don't think it is a well-solved problem, but I equally don't think that we're going to solve it unless we carry on iterating on the formula if that makes sense i think it's definitely something that you could try at a virtual convention and you know it would be opt-in to the icebreakers if you want to and if you don't feel that would work for you you don't need to kind of like sessions for newcomers at conventions in general how to enjoy your first virtual EasterCon? mandatory for everyone i think i enjoy getting to know people through text chat much more than either of you do so that is also more of an option for me that was the 14th episode of the Odd Thought Podcast, in which John, Liz and Alison agreed a lot and didn't argue at all. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license.
I have um it will not come as a, a it will not come as a surprise to anyone that the things I have been doing in lockdown are editing podcasts and playing Arkham Horror the card game. And and do you want to tell us about your new podcast, John? I've got a new podcast, Alison, and it's when I play Arkham Horror the card game in a podcast. What? Mind blown. I've already got nine listeners. Nine. Smashing. How many of those listeners are related to you? Well, Hispania refuses to listen and I haven't told any of my family, so I think none. <laughs> How many of them are in your Arkham Horror, regular Arkham Horror playing group? Oh, I, I assume I assume they're all people I know on Discord through Arkham Horror. So yes, that is a fair comment. But, you know, still happy. One of them was me, but I only listened up to the point where you like mentioned the spoiler warning for games I haven't played and then I stopped listening. So not sure that counts. Yes, I need to record some that more people can listen to. I'm on it. Oh, sorry. There's a lizard on my wall. <laughs> like a gecko, like this big. Um. <laughs> it's only a li- tiny little gecko the size of a spider. Yeah, no, it's literally like about an inch and a half tall, but it's just like run behind my curtain. Well, that, that's not really a big problem, is it? No, but they go very fast. And it just suddenly like emerged from behind my monitor. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Ah, oh, it's a little tiny lizard. Little tiny gecko. They move really fast. And if you surprise them, they drop their tails off and the tails keep moving and it's very freaky. Ah, okay, that's quite freaky. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know this. So I tried to trap one and I thought, I got under the box and I thought, oh shit, I've chopped his tail off with the box. No, it had dropped its tail and left it, but they continue moving. That is the freaky bit. I discovered all this by Googling after the fact. Yeah, you see, really, this is Octothorpe, the, po- the podcast of lizard tails and other digressions. Where's it gone? It's fucked off now is the problem. Oh, are we going to get our Arkham Horror playing session in the diary, by the way, chap? Yeah, probably. Should we do that after? I have some feedback from somebody, which is, you don't have a this podcast is now over sound at the very end of the podcast, John. I don't, that's true. And And you need it because if you are listening on a podcast player that automatically plays the next episode, the after show leads seamlessly into the cold open and people don't realize they've started listening to the next episode until it's too late all right how about i'm gonna do the this podcast is now over noise Uh, liz prepare yourself this podcast is now over (laughs) it's not often you get to see alison just completely dumbfounded for what to say uh so i am happy with that result um it isn't, it isn't, I, I was kind of thinking of doing like a little closing beat, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that sort of, that sort of end of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. You don't think me sexily saying this podcast is now over is what? This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Yes. Sorry, that might be a, that might be a cultural reference that is too old. I always worry. <laughs> This podcast will end at the beep. Beep. And then the beep.